to Really Bad Ideas. Today we'll be following the continuing adventures of Lutze, Dejack and Alibuck as they stumble around the countryside, waiting for their GM to steer them back towards the plot. My name's Carl, I am their GM, and also their number one fan. At the end of the last session, the party had freed a group of druids who had been taken captive by some local bandits. At least that's how it seemed, until the party arrived at the camp investigating further to discover that they were actually looting the remains of an ancient temple with some seemingly sacred artefacts. Having saved the druids and returned them to their rightful place at their circle, the party's druids, Trick and Jezebel, urged the party to continue with their quest. This sees them heading back towards Magnamar, where they intend to get some answers out of their contact Galadir. And so there we'll start session 9, Ice Ice Baby. The party had been travelling for some time now on the main road back to Magnamar, and so far they had gone unharassed. Being near the end of summer, the party was enjoying the weather, the clear days and light breezes making for a pleasant journey. Some way into the second day of travel, Alibuck recognises a couple of travellers along the road, not by their faces as you might think, but by the garments which they wear. The two travellers, a tall, human-looking woman and a dwarf, are both wearing the green and black cloaks, indicative of worshippers of Andaletta, the deity to which Alibuck himself is devoted. Indeed, he can also see from where he's standing they are carrying the willow sticks, unique to their order. He calls to them, and they turn. Noticing that he too is wearing Andaletta's colours, they hold out their willow sticks in front of them with their hands on top, bowing deeply. They approach the party and introduce themselves. The tall human woman tells them that her name is Cassandra Mooncrest, and her companion, the somewhat taciturn dwarf by her side, is known as Nargrok Dimbane. Both of them are adherents to the way of Andaletta, and have made it their business to travel the world seeking out those who need help. Recently, they have heard word of a nearby village, who is having a little trouble with their water supply. Alibuck is very eager to help, turning to his companions and urging them to come along with him. As is becoming customary, this meets with some grumbling from the party. A lot of them want to get back to Magnamar and can't really be bothered with this obvious side quest that the Jihem has thrown in. Nevertheless, they agree and head off towards the village, which is little more than two hours' travel through the forest. On the way, Alibuck converses with Cassandra and Nargrok, excited to meet adherents of his order. He so rarely gets the chance with Andaletta not being one of the major deities. They too tell him that this is the first time they've encountered someone who follows Andaletta for at least a year, but they very much welcome the company and chat amongst themselves as they approach the village. The village itself, as reported, is quite small. Clearly only a handful of people live here, and the wooden houses though well-kept, are simple in design. In the middle of the town sits an old stone well. From the position the players are standing, they can't see what is in the well, and they are greeted by one of the townspeople. Cassandra takes the lead, explaining to the man why they've arrived and that they've heard the village has been having trouble with its water supply. The man nods furiously, dragging them towards the well itself. Sure enough, when the party arrive around the stone structure, they can see that the water inside is completely frozen solid. A quick solution comes from within the party. This is ridiculous, why don't we just smash it? Keen listeners may begin to recognise the subtle voices of each of the characters coming through in these podcasts, and I hope you realise that yes, that is our ever-loving, all-countant barbarian Dejack. 
Drawing his great axe from his back, he slams the blade down on the ice, but it makes no impact skittering off as it hits the solid flat surface. The rest of the party share a quick chuckle over this, and it's suggested that perhaps they could melt the ice. Indeed, they begin dropping lit torches onto the plane of the ice itself, but this does not seem to do anything. Okay, so if we can't do anything to the ice, we should find out what feeds the well, right? Where does the water come from? They turn to the townsperson and ask him. The answer he gives isn't something I'm particularly proud of. As a GM, I think I could have come up with something a bit more imaginative uh, (laughs) in retrospect. But he tells them that the well is filled from a spring underneath the village, and indeed there is a cave which will lead them directly to it. I mean, sometimes you just want your players to get to the plot, right? That's justifiable. Their two new acquaintances in tow, the party follow the villager round to the side of the cave. The villager bids them farewell, heads back to his home, and tells them he should update them as soon as they're finished. The outside of the cave is pretty unassuming. The pebbles scattered across the ground and moss growing on the walls speak of no dangers. That being said, from outside the mouth of the cave, the party can hear a thumping sound coming from within. Crash. 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 Is it just me, or should we not be hearing that? I don't really want to go inside anymore. Alibuck convinces the rest of the party that a good deed is its own reward. They should go inside to help these poor people get the water they will so desperately need in the coming cooler months. Okay, fine, but there better be a reward at the end of it, and I'm not just talking about the spiritual kind. Quietly, they head inside the cave. A blind turn to the right reveals an open chamber, the floor of which is completely covered with a thin sheen of ice. As the party tentatively enter, tiny, winged, cackling demons spring to life from where they had secreted themselves on the walls and launch themselves at the party. These are ice methods. Now the fun thing about methods, at least from a GM perspective, is that they have access to a breath weapon. Breath weapons do different things depending on the element and the creature which uses it. These methods Every four rounds can release a 15-foot cone of ice damage. And if the players manage to pass a reflex save of DC 13, they get half of that damage. Of course, the other hazard in this cave is the icy floor. In order to move at half their speed, players need to make a DC 15 acrobatics check, which, if they fail, they fall prone. If they try and run, which some do, the DC goes up to 20. And of course, some of them fail their saves. This turns out to be a particularly frustrating fight, but the party do eventually overcome the methods. All the while, the sound crash, 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 but slightly louder now. Continuing through, in the next chamber, there is still the ice on the floor, ice everywhere. But there's also three very large, white-skinned creatures with enormous fists hammering on a giant wall of ice. Keen listeners may be picking up the theme of this particular mini-dungeon. These creatures are ice trolls. Trolls, as veterans to tabletop RPG games will probably know, have a regeneration ability, which means they recover a set amount of HP per turn unless they are hit by acid or fire. Trolls also represent a fantastic opportunity for players to metagame, because of course they may have the knowledge that their characters do not. I think the saving grace of this particular combat is that everything is ice, they look icy, The natural reaction for the players, the characters even, is to use fire. These trolls are big. They occupy a 10-foot square. They take up a lot of the space inside the cave. And they also have reach. 
Not a single member of the party is safe as they run around the claustrophobic inside of the cave, their backs to the ice wall, or retreat further back the way they came. The ice trolls prove to be a powerful and dangerous foe. However, as always, the party overcome them. It's during this fight that the party also realise what's causing the drop in temperature. As one of the ice trolls moves to engage in the combat, it reveals behind it a shimmering, shiny hole in the air, like a tear in the fabric of reality itself. Through the hole, players catch a glimpse of a snowy, desolate landscape. The wind blowing through from that side of the hole is clearly the source of all this ice. And, the players surmise, quite probably the home of all these ice-related enemies. In the quiet that remains after the combat, the crashing sound is glaringly absent. The players examine the giant wall of ice, trying to figure out how they can melt it, how they can close the portal. While some of them are all for the idea of diving through, passive perception checks indicate that they can hear muffled voices coming from the other side of the wall. A brief conversation of trying to shout through an inches thick wall of ice ensues, and soon after, the wall of ice drops, melting quickly to the ground. Beyond, the party see two figures. One, clearly exhausted, his hands falling to his sides as he slumps to his knees, panting and tired. He wears the robes of a merchant, but the residual threads of a spell can be felt coming off him. The other figure is about half his height, wearing a dark cloak and carrying daggers at his hip. The hood drops, and a familiar face greets them. Ah, oh, you guys took your time. It's none other than the halfling thief, Dar Dimplefoot. Ah, oh, this guy. Right, that's it, we're going home. De Jack moans wearily upon realising who it is. Other members of the party are keen to know how Dar came to be here. Indeed, it is a bit mean to have had his player not attend a few sessions and now be back, and uh, for certain party members to not be interested in what's going on. Don't be exclusionary to Jack, everyone needs to have fun. <laughs> Dar explains that he escaped the watchful eye of the gallowed, grabbed onto a cart which was leaving Magnamar, and it just happened to be uh, the cart of this fellow here, Erin Mateus. Uh, since then, they've been travelling to Sandpoint to check on Dar's butcher shop, which you may remember he opened a few sessions ago after killing the owner uh, and paying a young, inexperienced child, really, to take over the shop for him. A sound business venture, I'm sure you'll agree. But on the way there, they got caught in a storm and had to take shelter in this handy cave, which was just off the road. Then, uh, while they were bunkering down for night, this portal just opened and these trolls came out. And Eren, happy, happy that he knows some spells, you know, managed to erect this barrier. And anyway, we've been sat here for like two days waiting for the trolls to just go away, but they didn't seem to want to, to give up. So, yeah, how have you been? Eren Mateus, the obviously exhausted mage turned merchant, perks up at this. Dar, that's only half the truth. We arrived in this cave. I woke up one night to find you going through my bags of things. After me telling you specifically not to, because those bags are full of magical items and things that I'm not even sure what they do yet, and you open that portal with the piece of jewellery that was in there. Do you remember that, Dar? Do you remember that? Because I've been holding on to this spell for two days trying to keep us safe, and you could be a bit more bloody grateful about it. Jack is even more willing to leave Dar in his own situation, but Iren pleads with them if they don't manage to retrieve the piece of jewellery which Dar accidentally activated 
then the portal won't close. It will still, it will keep spilling out this ungodly winter into the world and release who knows what other horrors through it. Oh, well, I suppose we're doing that then this week, are we? Yes. Yes, you are. While the party are discussing what to do, Iren is going through the sack which Dar was rummaging through before. No, no, ah, oh, this is awful. Party turned to him and asked what's up. He replies, there are several items I had with me that have gone missing. They must have been taken by those mephit things back into the ice portal thing over there. Could you retrieve them while you're getting the trinket, please? I'll, I'll pay you handsomely for them when you bring them back. Uh, maybe even you can keep them as payment. Now this sparks the party's attention. Magic items that we might not have to pay for ourselves. Well, they spring into action and head straight through the portal. On the other side, the temperature is almost unbearably cold. The landscape is one of rock and ice. From where they stand, the party can see a large plateau on the other side of a gap, roughly 10 feet across on the other side, another wall of ice ascending upwards to another barren field of white. <sighs> right, best get started then. Party approach the gap between them and the plateau and realise that the plane they're on is merely a collection of floating stone islands covered in ice. It's a long way down from where they are. The more agile members of the party manage to cover the gap with ease, leaving those individuals in heavy armour or perhaps characters who are a little bit on the short side and 10 foot is a very large distance with some trouble. However, some creative work with a, with a rope and a lot of pulling gets everyone across. On this side of the gap, the snow is very deep. However, in some gnarled, weathered stones, the party can spy what they think is possibly the first item that they need to collect. Trudging their way over to it, they are ambushed by creatures jumping out of the snow. These creatures look like the mephits that they fought before, small, bluish-white, and cackling wildly from their mouths filled with wicked, tiny, pointed teeth. This is one of my first attempts at kind of like a homebrew monster, as you will. My idea was that these creatures would pop up from the snow, throw a snowball to be annoying, uh, or maybe an attack, and then they'd dive down again, and they'd be very difficult to detect because they'd have a burrow speed through the snow. It worked out quite well, and uh, they did present rather a frustrating challenge for the players, but they managed to beat them and indeed found that one of them was wearing a shirt, which, upon quick inspection with Detect Magic, turned out to be magical in nature one of Iren's items. The rock formation they'd spied earlier as well held a wand. That's two down. Oh, I suppose we should have asked him how many there were. Hmm. Never mind. The ice wall looms over them. Very smooth and slippery, this is going to be a tricky crime for even the most acrobatic of players. After several attempts and some lucky rolls, means it's Lutze to the top first. Peeking over the top, he notices a couple of trolls lounging about in the snow. He does his best to creep on top of the wall, quietly as he can, lower a rope and help the others up, wildly gesticulating that they should try and keep the noise down as they do. Eventually he's noticed, and the members of the party he's managed to get up have to hold the trolls off while the others ascend, eventually beating the trolls back and recovering what was once a magical pair of gloves, though the troll trying to fit it atop its massive fingers seems to have torn them completely in two. Scanning the white plane, they find another rock formation sprouting from the snow. This is tall and looks almost purpose-built. Upon it sits a sparkling blue gemstone. That's the one. Dar recognises the item. The party approach and carefully and suspiciously pluck the jewel from its setting. 
Immediately, the ground starts to rumble. Classic. Not only does it start to rumble, it starts to tilt. The entire surface that they're stood on begins to rise towards a 45 degree angle. The party, panicking, flee back down towards the ice wall, leaping off and landing in the snow heavily at the bottom. They can see the portal from where they are. They just need to cross the plane, jump the gorge, get back through the portal and hope that Eren can close it now that they have the trinket. A low rumble begins to emerge from somewhere below them. This isn't the sound of stone grinding on stone. This is something alive. The players run for their lives towards the gorge, getting ready to leap it as fast as they can. On the way, a passive perception check leads Lutze to spot a shining item amidst the snow. He runs past it, attempting an acrobatics check to lift it from the ground as he does so. Sadly, the check fails. They all make it over the gorge in time, diving through the portal, throwing the jewel to Eren. They turn back to the portal, looking through into the icy world, seeing the form of a giant creature wrought at the very stone and ice of the platforms that they were previously standing on. It turns to them, bearing its arms wide in a threatening gesture. As Eren approaches the portal, touches the stone against the side, the tear in the air, and it shrinks to nothing, seals up. It's as if it was never there. The party stand around the cave, panting, trying to get their breath back. Running from the Goliath monster has both their heart rates and their adrenaline high. Recovering quickly, Dar begins to laugh. <laughs> so, uh, who's coming back to Sandpoint to check on my shop then? And that's where we'll end the session. Thank you everyone for listening. I really hope you enjoyed uh, session 9. Looking forward to recording session 10. There's some really uh, interesting bits of story going off there and I know my players are looking forward to listening to it because of the events that will transpire over the next couple of sessions. Now, if you're a fan of uh, tabletop RPGs, and I'm pretty much sure you are if you're listening to this podcast, then you may be interested in looking at some of the models that I've painted for use in these sessions. So if that's the case, please come and visit me on Instagram at uh, reallybardideas. And if you want to come and visit me on Twitter and maybe drop a like and some comments, then come visit me at Bard Really, where I'll be posting updates about this podcast, updates about my writing, which you can instantly find at reallybardideas.com. Uh, as well as just talking tabletop RPGs with some really great creators. So do pop by and see what I'm up to. In the meantime, thanks again for listening. I very much hope you enjoy the session. And please join me next time for Really Bad Ideas Session 10, You Only Live Twice. <laughs>